PMI Online, JBA here, and welcome to another episode of Diversity and Mentorship in Investing, a limited series where we chat with some incredible angels and VC investors about diversity in investing each week. Are you looking to start or grow your startup but feel like you can't get to that next level? Well, DMI listeners, we have a several private communities and startup incubators specifically geared for you. Visit VentureSeed.com forward slash incubator to apply and join the growing number of funded startup businesses. Incubators are one of the best ways to get honest and direct feedback to strengthen and possibly get funding. So apply now as there are a limited number of spots available. VentureSeed.com. Now let's get ready to chat with our featured guest, Dawn Dobras. Dawn. Are you ready to have a conversation about diversity and mentorship in investing? Forward to it. Awesome. Dawn Dobras is focused on three sectors of leadership, board membership and consulting, CEO consulting, and startup advising. She's a recognized retail CEO and entrepreneur who has built consumer businesses from startup to private equity-backed and public companies. After a successful corporate career, including 13 years at Gap Inc., Dawn built consumer brands in beauty, fashion, and home with a deep focus on retail, DTC, and omni-channel in settings. So Dawn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm thrilled to be here. I want to first start and take a step back and fill in some gaps about growing up and what made you the woman you are today. (laughs) That's a loaded question. Maybe I should talk to my therapist. No. Um... Look, I grew up in Arizona, um, the oldest of three girls, and from an early age, have just been very interested in entrepreneurial activities. I was the kid with the lemonade stand that then uh, franchised it to the next corner. I was the Girl Scout that, you know, got other Girl Scouts to work for me so I could sell more cookies. You know, I've just always had the entrepreneurial bug. My dad was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. So I think I come by it honestly, but I really enjoyed the ability and the encouragement from both my family and also opportunities along the way to hone my entrepreneurial skills. I went to school on the East Coast and ended up um, back in San Francisco working for a fashion company that is now mostly defunct in the US, but it's called a spree. And that was a great entrepreneurship story in San Francisco. I quickly moved to the Gap. I got my MBA at Harvard. And that was probably my first time of really being in what I would say a more traditional business setting. And I came back to the Bay Area and spent and joined Old Navy when there were uh, about 10 stores. So that was a really incredible um, rocket ship obviously multi-billion dollar brand today at a really young time in my career where I got to try a lot of different things in a very entrepreneurial setting, even though it was backed by a big company. So did you follow in your, or did your sisters follow in your footsteps? No. Um, One of my sisters is a school teacher in Oakland. Um, so very much into social impact and nonprofit. And my other sister is an adventure travel guide in South America. So uh, everybody went their own directions. Very cool. Very, very cool. When investing in a startup, would you consider yourself more of an operational investor given your background? 
or more of a hands-off investor? Of course, I'm an operational investor. Um, I spent 30 years operating companies. And along the way, you know, being in senior leadership roles, CEOs, um, roles, it's really a lonely job running those companies because while you're guiding your teams, the people that you look for for guidance, sometimes your board or your investors are not always your best sounding boards. So when I invest and, and get involved in a company, I really think back to what, what did I need? in those roles. And sometimes I got great advice. Maybe it was an independent board advisor. Maybe it was an industry advisor. But when I invest, I really try and be the support for the CEO. Many times I'm investing at the pre-seed or seed stage, which are first-time CEOs. I emphasize underrepresented founders every time I can. So about 90% of my portfolio is in underrepresented founders. And so, look, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. I've learned a lot. Um, chances are I have some pattern recognition. And so I can actually be quite helpful in many ways to new CEOs, whether it's everything from thinking about product market fit to hiring people, to firing people, to building on a board, to fundraising. That said, uh, nose in, fingers out, I think is the best way of saying it that they say at the board level. My goal is never to be involved in the business, but to be there as a sounding board and a safe area for a CEO. That's very interesting. Sometimes you get entrepreneurs looking at a wide array of investors and say, they'll say, Hey, I'll take anything. In reality, however, you really want to get that right match, right? And I think as a founder, you need an investor a lot of times who really does give that support rather than just writing that check. So that's really great to hear. I want to go back to something you said about Credo or that I read where you grew the revenue four times uh, during COVID, mind you, the COVID period when I wanted to get a sense of how challenging that was and, and how you guys were able to pivot so quickly and move ahead. Uh, look, for anybody, I mean, we all lived through COVID. It was challenging for every single person. It was particularly challenging for retailers. I still remember when we closed our stores and having the responsibility of sales associates across the country, and nobody knew if they had their jobs or their health care, or, you know, there was a, a lot of pressure in anybody in an operating role. But uh, I think I can safely say, certainly for CEOs, I've talked to the most stressful and demanding periods of their careers. What we ultimately did, and I think we we're a benefit of the fact that our company was still pretty small and nimble, is we made the decision not to um, lay off our sales associates. We used them and actually used a technology to help them fuel all of our live chats on our website. And as everybody knows, everyone was stick stuck at home. And so website traffic went up exponentially. And we were able to staff the majority of our sales associates handling live chats on the website. Now, mm. I have to handle that. I mean, these uh, hand it to our sales associates. These are people that are used to selling on the floor, but um, they immediately turn their bedrooms or whatever into um, support areas. And there's nobody better at selling product than a, you know, an in-store sales associate. So 
What we found is that when people hit the website and maybe they needed some help, they got the best service on the planet because our sales associates were so happy to be working. Um, and that fueled incredible growth for us. It uh, fueled incredible retention and loyalty. And so we really were a beneficiary of the pandemic. I mean, we came out on the winner side rather than the loser side as people invested in health and wellness in a way that they hadn't before. Customer service and retention, as we all know, is so important, especially I think in this economy when customer acquisition and sales teams are being ever challenged and it's definitely more challenging to get that new customer. So it's really good to hear that success story. It was. It was um, also, thank God for technology. We had um, beta tested a live chat streaming service. It's a little bit like Uber for sales associates where they could pick up chats from the website. And we'd literally just gotten everybody trained right before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So technology was a huge win for us in that, but also the willingness of our sales associates, the desire for us not to lay them off. You know, there were kind of a couple of things that a lot, you know, kind of pushed us into over-investing into customer service. And during the pandemic um, and during that period of time, it paid off for us you know, before actually, you know, it just grew the business you so much. You mentioned diversity. And as you know, my previous podcast spoke in detail about diversity and mentorship, but on the startup side, and rarely is that conversation had on the investment side. I think there's some empathetic leverage that a diverse investor can bring to the table that perhaps your normal investor may not be able to bring. What's your view on that? On on diversity, investor diversity topic uh, in general. So, well, Jeremy, you and I briefly chatted about this when we first met, mm -hmm. but I feel very strongly that diversity, first of all, certainly can't stop in an organization. It has to go all the way through the leadership team. It has to go through the board. And to me, it has to go through the capitalization table or the investor table, because the reality is True power sits at the investor level, in, especially in startups, even more so than the board and many times more than the management team. And I think it's incredibly important to have different voices around the table. Not every startup needs to be funded by um, a white guy that went to Stanford um, Business School. And a lack of having female investors in the room or diverse investors in the room causes groupthink. So what I have been interested in watching is that when I get together with my friends, we rarely talk, my female friends, we rarely talk about investing. And when I watch my husband, almost always his friends end up talking about some sort of investment. And it's very interesting to me because many times when I bring in an investment idea to my husband, he's like, well, I never thought of it that way, or I never would have realized this opportunity. And so I think it's really important on the investor side to have a difference of opinion at that, at that level. And I think for women in particular, a comfort of talking about money and talking about investing and talking about having power, uh, financial power at that level is really an important change that needs to happen. I know that when I was fundraising at, out for with my startup, it was a rare day when I would pitch to somebody that was not a white man. And that's okay. And I got quite good at it, but it is not the best way to get diversity of opinion in the room. 
And so, you know, I really look to both fund founders and get on cap tables where there aren't other women or where there needs a diverse uh, point of view. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you mentioned before, which I think adds on to where we're going back to that operational support and being there in a supportive role for the founder. For example, uh, if a female investor has been in the same circumstance as the entrepreneur, there's some kinship there, which can help the founder navigate those same paths that the investor has already gone through versus, you know, maybe an investor who has not really known or been in the same social economic or been through the same cultural challenges that the founder has. So I agree with you hundred percent. And thank you for, for sharing that. What, and, what else? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, oh, what I would probably do is also lean into that word on community, because when you look at the stats of female founders, if you look at funding to Black founders or Latinx founders, right, the statistics are pretty daunting. They just are, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. at least 95% of the capital is going to like a, a majority cohort. And so what I found is being able to be on the investor side and having been on the operator side, an ability to help build that community with the CEO in a way that other investors aren't. And I think that's really important to what you said earlier. I have been in the room where I've been the only woman pitching. I haven't been the only brown skin woman in the room, but I've been the only woman in the room and it is uncomfortable and you need to um, think about strategies and how you're going to handle that before you get in there. So this idea of community, while there are not so many female founders or so many Latinx founders or black founders, the community of those founders and those community of those investors is quite strong. And it's amazing to me how quickly, if you are interested in it, that you can start to build a network. Yes, completely. And speaking of the network, moving on to the next topic of mentorship, the other side of investing that does not get talked about you know, much at all. Uh, I belong to a few Gen Z communities and teach software to the younger generation. So some of the millennial and, and Gen Z generation are looking for that guidance on how to invest in their future. What are some of the best ways we can support maybe some of the up and coming investors? What are your thoughts there? Uh, yes. So I think seek out those communities and, um, with a little bit of homework, I think you can get connected. I'm involved with several angel investing groups, but my favorite is called the council. It's a female investing group out of San Francisco. Definitely, maybe not Gen Z, definitely heavy millennial. I represent the older end of it, but that community, finding a community where you can learn from others. I had been an operator for 30 years, not a venture capitalist. So making my first angel investments, I had a lot of questions. I was not as knowledgeable, but finding a community where I could ask questions and get learnings um, from the other members was really, really helpful to me. You know, whether it's a formal process or informal process, I've also reached out to a ton of female VCs and accelerator programs and just introduce myself. And I will tell you time and time again, people will take time, educate you, introduce you to deals, you know, be there and help build that community if you ask and are, you know, genuine and authentic in that request. So I tend to be very extroverted in building my communities. What I can also say is 
Um, I respond to inbound pretty consistently to female founders and underrepresented founders, even if it's not an opportunity that I'm personally interested in investing. I look to see how I can support them or help them build their network or introduce them to others because so many people helped me along my career. And now I feel that I have almost um, a mandate to respond and support not just younger, but underrepresented founders. And in some cases, that could be older founders too. Very true. Very true. But maybe this next question is more personal for each individual investor. However, do you think the growth opportunities as a new investor, specifically, let's say a female or underrepresented group, are better suited to start with a larger firm where you may, for example, have more resources, maybe a syndicate versus, let's say, a two-person firm or a micro VC firm in the same manner? So I've found, you know, I've stayed focused on pre-seed and seed. Um, so very early stage mostly because that's where my interest is. And I think that that's where I have the biggest point of leverage in helping other founders. So I would say for me personally, I've leaned in on the smaller side and on um, firms where I can just quickly shoot a note to the founding partner and majority of time get a response. That said, it's a little bit different if you're an investor or if you're talking about a career path. I, I, I feel pretty strongly on a career path, particularly if you're starting out, that you can get great training at the bigger firms. Like you're just going to see the process better. It's going to be more professionalized. You're going to have wider access to deals. You're going to have a wider access to a network. So, you know, I'm answering your question a little bit like how have I responded to building my community as an investor versus if I were building a new career in venture, you know, I would, I would definitely look at the larger programs. Interesting. And speaking of larger ecosystems and, and companies, obviously there's a lot in the news recently in, in March about the fall of SVB Bank. And there's some potential waves and ramifications for the larger ecosystem in 2023. Uh, obviously we haven't probably seen the last of this, uh, there, you know, in terms of institutionally wise. But what do you think about those startups or investors looking to raise capital for the rest of the year? And, and how is this new banking system, do you think, may evolve? So first of all, I'll start at the founder level. And honestly, having been on the phone or Zooms with founders all through the weekend, starting last Thursday, like... It's been a lot for founders. You know, many of them started during the pandemic and navigated that and potentially through Black Lives Matter and through multiple closures on different things. And now to have a um, crack in the banking system, which really funds a lot of startups, it probably feels like a video game of just, you know, asteroids coming at you all the time. What even before um, Silicon Valley Bank, and the uh, pressure testing around that happened. What we were seeing in the venture community was obviously a drying up of later stage deals. And I'm talking kind of late stage B, C, and D rounds, where some of the valuations many felt were out of whack. What we didn't see is that same level of slowdown at the early stages. And so really early stage companies, pre-seed, seed kind of anything before Series A, if you look at the funding stats, stayed relatively healthy. You know, there was a downturn for sure, but it, it was more on the valuation side, less on the, on the funding side. 
So coming out of this, I think that there is still quite a bit of um, untapped venture money. If you look at private equity, if you look at venture right now, there's like a lot of money sitting on the sidelines that does need to be deployed. And I, right, you got the dry powder sitting on the edge. And I think that what you're going to see is, you know, smart deals at perhaps sharper valuations or tighter valuations, but they're still going to get done at these early stages. I think that where you're going to see a lot of fallout is perhaps the C and D stages where big chunks of capital and big bets going on. I think there's going to be more hesitancy. So, you know, again, I think none of us have a crystal ball. That's more what I'm hearing from venture capitalists that I'm talking to in the Valley. I'm staying really focused on good business ideas, underrepresented founders, because I think with underrepresentation, there's also a lot of opportunity and perhaps untapped investment opportunity. And I think that if you're in an early stage company right now, you have a couple of years to build and kind of work through this cycle before you need those bigger rounds. Yeah, that's really good insight. And thank you for the insight. Maybe some listeners who are, you know, trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I know what to do. I'm just saying like, I'm staying focused on like the companies that, and the great founders with the fundamentals and right. trying not to get um, caught up in the hype around this because yeah. I know that good ideas are going to get funded. And out of any of these downturns, the stronger companies and the companies that aren't fluffy, if you can make it through all this, you're going to, you're going to have a much greater chance of succeeding. So some of the best companies came out of these downturns. And these founders right now are tough, right? Like if you can survive all this, like you're a sharper, tighter operator. Like this is not easy money time. So like if you're thriving now, you're going to be, you know, you have a much higher likelihood of success. So I look at some of the founders and how they're responding. and And I know that I'm more comfortable investing in them because of their reactions and how well they've navigated some, you know, pretty epic shocks to the system. The last question, uh, indeed, you mentioned the council as one of the organizations you support and are a part of. Are there some other maybe organizations or groups that you admire? You caught me on something I didn't prepare well for. I'm involved in a couple alumni. You know, I think sometimes using your um, school networks, there's a lot of alumni um, angel investing going on. In the Bay Area in particular, uh, there are a growing organizations or I'll, I'll say it organizations, loose organizations out there where people are trying to find categories and I'll say either female, minority or gender open types of communities to invest together as a group. I'm also seeing some crowdsourcing investing. So. I think that if you dig, if you scratch the surface, if you, you know, take it three steps past Google, work your network a little bit, that you're going to find communities out there. And perhaps um, they're much stronger in the Bay Area because we sit at the heart of a lot of this. But I have been pitched probably five or six different angel organizations over the last year. Um, I haven't joined them all, but it just feels like if you want to lean in, there's um, a willingness and openness that I don't think existed 10 years ago. Absolutely. We're going to stop there for now, and we're going to move on to what we call the lightning round. I am very nervous. 
<laughs> no worries. You'll be fine. I guarantee it. No, no problem at all. We're going to play the lightning round after a quick word from our sponsors. If you're an angel or crowdfunding investor, you know how tough it can be to find the right deal flow or syndicate to join. That's where ETF Angels comes into play. As an ETF fund, we pull the best pre-seed level startups together under one umbrella to better diversify your assets and investments. Whether you're a seasoned investor or making your first startup investment, do it with the confidence and support of diverse investors like yourself. Join the investors that have already made the switch by visiting VentureC.com forward slash communities to learn more and apply. And we're back on DMI with Don Dobras. Now, for those who are not familiar with our lightning round, here's how it's played. We ask our guest two questions of which one of those questions must be answered correctly in order to win the prize. Now, our guest will have 30 seconds to answer these questions. So, Dawn, are you ready to play the lightning round? I am. Awesome. Remember, you'll have 30 seconds to answer these questions, and your time starts now. The Jobs Act, and subsequently Reg CF, was passed by President Obama in what year? A, 2012, B, 2015, or C, 2019? 2012? Correct. Awesome. Question two. True or false? Crowdfunding platforms must either work with a broker-dealer or be a broker-dealer themselves to allow startups to raise capital on their platform. I don't know, but I'll go with option A, broker-dealer. Right again. Awesome. You got two out of two. Perfect. So when we come back after a quick break with our sponsor, you'll receive info on how and what you've won actually as a, as a prize. Uh, so congratulations, you successfully passed the lightning round. Uh, and so we'll talk about that right after a final word from our sponsor. Are you an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business or an investor who wants to better understand the economies of a startup? Well, DMI listeners, subscribe to our VC opened newsletter where you'll receive some of the best advice on raising capital for your startup all for free. While there is no commitment, go to vcopened.ventureseed.com to read more. That's vcopened.ventureseed.com or visit ventureseed.com for the direct link. And we're back and you've been hanging out with Don Dobras. Well, Don, I wanted to thank you again for coming on the show and being part of our program. I think we've gained some pretty incredible insights from your journey. So whenever you're ready, I want to end today on DMI with a parting piece of guidance you can provide to our listeners and maybe the best way we can connect with you. And then we'll say sayonara. Um, sure. So first of all, thank you for having me on here, Jeremy. Um, I really like what you're doing and I'm glad that you're talking about this issue. There are not a lot of people talking about the diversity at the investment level. And so I hope your voice gets amplified and that you have lots of listeners here. Something that I feel really strongly about, and I don't know if it's advice, but I would say it's more of a way that I try and live by. I think it's, you have to see people in action. You have to see it to know it. 
And I spent the early part of my career in the fashion industry. And one thing that was really unique about that was uh, there were all women at the highest levels of the organization, organization, all the leaders were women. And that was early in my career and that felt very normal to me. And so there was no misunderstanding or lack of understanding that a woman could be the CEO of the company. But I don't, as I moved through my career, I didn't see that everywhere. I didn't see people of color as CEOs. I didn't see women as um, CEOs in other industries. And I feel very strongly that you have to see it to know you can go there. And so not my advice, but my a motto or the way that I think I would love everyone of these listeners to, to show up is be that person for someone else. There's always someone behind you. There's always someone younger. There's always someone less experienced. And you can be that role model for them and help them start to see or start to think bigger. And that's frankly why I got into investing. I want other women to see that you can be an investor. That's why I was a CEO. I want other women to see that you can do these jobs. So see it to know it is kind of a a motto that I would like. And the best way to connect with you? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn. I'm embarrassed to say that, but yes, it's easiest. I, in li- <laughs> I was going to say, does the whole world use it? Uh, yeah, it's probably best to connect with me on LinkedIn, on um, Jobras on LinkedIn. And I'm always open to connecting um, with founders, even if I'm not interested in the investment thesis. I try and be helpful along the way. <laughs> 